0: Todd's Road Campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. When we first started the Fellows and Interns program, we, we each took a turn uh, going to sit with them and to talk about our experience of ministry and uh, what we believe to be true, and they asked us for our philosophy of ministry. Uh, Todd Nelson's this is Park in the farthest spot away. Uh, you know, This is modeling uh, you know, servant leadership. Mine was... Do ministry with people you love, and if you can't, you either quit or do something else. Do ministry with people you love, and I've been reflecting a lot this week on uh, the people whom I love, and I'm going to do the dangerous thing, which is name some people from the pulpit, uh, but know that it extends far beyond those few people. Uh, our staff um, are incredible, and this week, I've just been aware of uh, what a joy it is to be in ministry with them. Every one of them had something uh, this week that I look around and go like, you, you didn't have to do that. Uh, Jeremiah and uh, Sarah get back last night at 10.30 from a youth trip to Aldersgate. Um, and I snuck in Friday night on the security cameras to watch how it was going out here for, for the first part. And, and uh, to see them in ministry with our kids is just uh, beautiful. Uh, Michael ended up at a training this week to learn how to do sound better. We, we're not paying Michael to go get trained on how to do sound better. He's there with other technicians from across the, the state, learning uh, and improving. is um, always coming to me with uh, the person that I need to go and, and to care for, that, that I would miss if it wasn't for Donna. Um, Janelle led choir practice Wednesday night, and this is my first time ever watching a choir practice. I knew she was gifted from Sunday mornings, uh, but to watch her lead this group of, of folks through this practice and, and a way to begin to prepare... Uh, to, to offer this cantata was, was incredible. I'm excited about Darren joining our team. Uh, he, he's got a, a, a different calling in life. His calling is to be a third grade teacher and uh, eventually principal. I know that is on the, the trajectory. Um, and, and to help the church understand its ministry of extending uh, beyond the walls of the church the kingdom of God. I feel like I'm going to miss somebody there, but uh, our staff is incredible. And, and we're part of a, an incredible church. We, we do uh, ministry as one community of First United Methodist Church. And uh, we have experts all across and people who uh, are, are faithfully living out their calling in, in the best ways possible. Uh, I have a, a dear friend, Taylor, who's the, the new pastor of the offerings community. And he is so good for me uh, because he and Dr. Richard Thompson uh, forced me to think uh, much more deeply uh, than I have ever thought before. They, they don't settle for the simple uh, answers. His, his study is the uh, phenomenological philosophy, philosophy of religion, sociology of religion. Uh, Richard studied the sociology of deviance. These people are brilliant and they make me feel more brilliant being around them. They, they are in these fields uh, of, of understanding humanity in different ways. And, and they're part of a group that I can never be part of, but I look to them for their knowledge and their wisdom. Uh, the, the sociologists of religion, the philosophers, the anthropologists are doing the ones that, that both look backwards and help push us to look forward as to what the church is going to be. And we're at this really interesting time in the history of religion. Uh, we're, we're at a point that is different than has ever happened. For, for most of humanity's history, uh, there was just an assumption that uh, there was a God out there. Uh, Deism was the name of the day. Even if you didn't believe in the same God as your neighbor, you believed in a God. There was a higher power involved. Uh, And we see this uh, kind of throughout the history of all of our religions. And we we, we don't ever really have this idea of uh, unbelief. It's what are you choosing to believe in? Uh, Israel's history uh, is a picture not of believing in Yahweh or not believing in Yahweh. It's a question of are you serving Yahweh alone or are you uh, pantheist and we're going to serve uh, Marduk this week or uh, Asher this week. We see uh, that across time and space, people believed in a God. But uh, that has begun to, to kind of wane across the world. Uh, there, there weren't uh, anything like, uh, there wasn't a group called atheists until the 1600s. That was not a category people had, uh, we have the rise of uh, the industrial revolution. We have enlightenment. We have uh, the move to continental philosophy and these things that begin to ask us, uh, what do we actually understand about God? And, and it's given us uh, new realities for the church, specifically for the Christian church, right? From its earliest days, it's a movement that has spread across the world. Eventually, it becomes the uh, religion of the empire. Constantine uh, blesses it and actually goes out into battle with the Christian flag right with the imperial flag, uh, declaring that uh, if you're part of the the world, you will be Christian. And this holds all the way up uh, until really the last hundred years. We're in America trailing behind uh, the rest of the global north. If we look out to Europe and to South Africa, to Australia, we see uh, that there is a large proportion of the world who believes there is no God, and, and it's okay. If we look back at, you know, maybe our grandparents or great-grandparents, they went to church even if they didn't believe, right? Pandemic has sped up us catching up with Europe, um, I've heard, where is everybody? First of all, there's a bunch of people working online with very good reasons, so let me just put that one to rest. Uh, but, but what has happened? We've seen in the last two years a, a speed-up of what was coming, which is uh, the folks who are going to be involved in the life of the church are the folks who uh, are going to be involved in the life of the church. We, we see this uh, shifting dynamic that makes us a little uncomfortable, right? We look around and go, things aren't like they used to be. Uh, I've got lots of family members who um, who went to church because Grandma said you go to church, right? And that is not the expectation today. And in some ways, I think it's this beautiful thing because uh, we're actually all allowed to live in uh, in authentic- authenticity and who we are and what we believe. But it's it's shaping the work of the missiologist, the people who guide our Understanding the mission of the church. We can't just rely on being the nearest church to be the one that grabs all the people. We can't uh, rely on guilt and shame. We, we need to be authentically rooted in, in the love and forgiveness of Christ. And, and so it's going to reshape uh, how we understand ourselves and our uh, life. Uh, we look around and, and go, there are more empty pews. What do I believe about God? What, what do I think is true? things that we used to be able to just kind of put off to the side, we now have to ask the question, do I really believe that about God? We've been confronting this in the Job story. Do I really believe that God is, uh, is so vindictive that going to going to punish me for uh, something simple and, and destroy my whole life? Do we believe that God is an angry God who has this grand puppet show that we're a part of? Or do we believe that God is... Uh, allowed us to be part of a free, uh, free existence and, and confront the realities of evil and, uh, and such in the world. We have to begin to ask the questions of, uh, is religion part of our life or is it the lens through which we see our whole life? Um, we begin to ask, uh, what, what about this is true for me? What about this is true for Everyone. Why am I part of this? Uh, And is it worth it? There is no more shame about uh, not being involved in the life of the church. Our pews are emptier. It's harder to make our schedules work with the things that the church does. We have to ask these probing questions about if it's worth it. I think Job is actually modeling this exact same crisis uh, in his story. Job begins in, in, I think, this uh, pot of uh, religious existence where uh, his religion is part of his life. It's a thing. He's uh, obeying the rules, and he believes in this God out there. Uh, But he's also got this great life. Job is rich. He's got a lot of donkeys. He's got a lot of cows. He's got camels. I mean, he is rich. And life is good. We're going to hold this all in tension. And then we know from the story, the adversary comes and he loses it all. He loses the possessions. He loses the progeny they're going to carry on his name. He loses uh, his own health. And we know from the story that it's the work of, of the evil one, of the adversary. Uh, but Job uh, believes it to be the work of Yahweh. And he's going to confront God because God has gotten it wrong. We know this is his, his desire. And, and he, he, he tells his friends, no, just as soon as I can... I can get to Yahweh, I can tell him where he's wrong. And Yahweh comes in the storm and says in a whirlwind and begins to just reframe this whole conversation. Job, we're not even going to talk about why you lost all this stuff and why it's all gone and what happened. Instead, we're going to talk about who I am. I'm the one who put the world on its foundations. I'm the one who uh, brought forth life from nothingness. I'm the one who gave form and function. And, and who are you, quite frankly, to question me? God doesn't defend his honor. He doesn't say, look, it wasn't me. It was the adversary over here. Instead, he says, some things are beyond your understanding. That was last week's text. And then uh, in between last week and this week, we have a couple more chapters of Job and God fighting. God is like, look, you're missing the picture. You don't understand me. It would have been easier if he said, hey, Job, let me tell you first, it was the devil who did all this. The devil did all this, and I'm going to make it okay. Because then it feels good, right, it's, it's out there. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, I need you to understand me and to understand that you won't always understand. And so Job's uh, final speech in our text today is saying, you told me you were going to question me. And you have. You told me there was going to be mystery, and there is. I wanted to find out, uh, I wanted to tell you how you were wrong, but now I understand that I'm wrong. And it says that Job then finds comfort in ashes and dust. I really wish the story ended uh, with Job saying, I had understanding, I got it. But instead, the climax of Job's uh, thought process is, uh, I'm going to sit in the dust and the ashes and I'm going to trust in this mysterious God. And it'll be okay, even if it's not okay. The, the text then paints this picture of him praying for his friends who have been problematic. And then God blessing him with all kinds of abundance. And, and that's a fraughtful point of scripture. Because uh, nothing that God gives him can actually replace the things he lost. Those children, those grandchildren, those uh, who are beloved to him... Are gone. Yes, there are new ones. Yes, there's four more generations. Yes, there's more property. Uh, But the ashes and the dust last beyond. Job uh, sits in the mystery and finds a new reverence for God. St. John on the Cross said that it's not in the good days we find reverence for God, it's in our mourning and in our suffering. It's easy for us to talk about how good God is when things are going well and it's all delightful and it's just wonderful. But when things start to get rough, then we have to ask the question of, of do we actually believe who God is who he says he is? And these last two years have sped that up for the world. And it's surely sped it up for the church. Do we believe that God is as good as he says he is? Do we believe that uh, he is near as he says he is? Do we believe that uh, as Christ said he came to defeat the powers of sin and death that he is actually doing that? Do we believe that when he said the Holy Spirit would comfort us he is doing that? Because much like Job looked around and still was uh, missing his children we're looking around and things are still not right. I'm sure for many of us there are things that we would like to actually say where are you God? Because I want to ask you questions. And so we've reached this point in the life of the church where we can go one of two ways. We can lean into trust, into confidence in the God of the universe and say, I don't get everything and there is some mystery to you and, and I hope that one day my eyes are open and, and we can make him the very center of our being or we can say, I don't think you are who you say you are. It's not worth it because I don't see um, I don't see your goodness. The, the, uh, the commitment is not worth it now. And we've seen a lot of people walk away from the life of the church over the last 40, 50 years, uh, and, and we are catching up rapidly uh, in this general belief that God is not enough. He is not sufficient. Our churches are going to look smaller, but I think they're going to be filled with people who have said Yes. I actually believe I have confidence in you God that even, even in the midst of our suffering even in the midst of, of sitting in ashes and in dust you are with us. For, 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 I've watched it happen with the life of Andover throughout this of people who have, who have entered into new depths of prayer how, who have cried out for God to move in mysterious and powerful ways. It's going to change the way we do uh, life outside the walls of the church. The days of just, hey, we're, we're the church up the road, come on down, are, are over. It's going to look a lot like uh, a third grade teacher modeling uh, the love of Christ for their students. It's going to look a lot like uh, kids having birthday parties and loving their neighbors well. It's going to look like uh, It's going to look a whole lot like grace and light and a whole lot less like shame and condemnation. It's going to look a whole lot more like freedom in Christ rather than legalistic set of rules we have to follow. The church is going to change dramatically. About every 500 years we go through a major shift in the church's story. About 500 years into to the story of the church, uh, we began to settle on the, the understanding of who Christ is as both human and divine, and it, it really shook up the world. About 1,000 a, a years in, we shake up the, the nature and the role of the Spirit in the life of the church. Does it uh, proceed from the Father or the Father and the Son? And at 1,500 years, we have this Protestant Reformation where uh, the church begins to say, like, I know we're, gonna, we're actually going to move out into the streets and, and to move away from these indulgences, and And now, 2,000 years later, we're in this new post-Christendom world. And we're being asked the same questions that uh, primordial Job was asked. What do we believe about God? And what do we do with it? Imagine um, our next 14 years together. Begin to imagine what our ministry is going to look like. Begin to imagine... Uh, what it looked like for us to go beyond the walls of the church in ways that the church has not had to do for 2,000 years. In a world where uh, it is now abnormal to be in the church, what do we go and do with that? Are we comfortable leaning into the great mysteries? Or do we run away from it? I want Job to end differently. I want all the answers. And I've realized that's one of my problems as a person is I want all the answers. Why does good stuff happen to bad people and bad stuff happen to good people? Why? Um, why are some of our prayers not answered? Why do we not know that some of them were answered until 15 years down the road? Why? but I trust in the goodness of our God who gave his life for us. I trust in the goodness of God who built the foundations of the world. I trust in the goodness of a God who draws near through his spirit. And I invite you to do the same thing. Pandemic has brought us to a place that uh, I was hoping we were going to be a decade down the road, but here we are. This table is for me the comforting answer to Job's questions. That even though he never leaves uh, satisfied in the why, he can trust in the who. And for while we can't always understand our suffering, we can't understand uh, God not answering our prayers sometimes, we can trust fully in the God who took on flesh, who... Uh, literally gave his life for ours, to set us free from sin and death and to announce that a time would come when literally he would save his people. That when we grieve and when we mourn, we can, we can come to this table and it will feed us and help us have a cosmic vision for the time when there is no more pain and there is no more suffering. That uh, we can come meet a God who knows the suffering that we are going through and the suffering that the people we love is going through. We don't come to an opulent throne room of some far out deistic God. We come to one who took on flesh just like us. Who died for us and then sent his spirit to comfort and to counsel, to invite us into a deeper relationship with him, even in the face of, uh, of a world that says it is no longer important. That's embarrassing or different. This table uh, is an ordinary table with ordinary bread and ordinary juice but through god's mysteries it becomes the very presence of christ for us and then sustains us as we go forward